Uh, well, as we get into uh, the message today, uh, I want to encourage you again, go ahead and get that church app and the notes are in there. There's quite a few scriptures. I'm doing a little bit of an overview theme today, uh, just kind of helping us see uh, God's heart, what the kingdom of God is all about, and uh, that, that app will definitely help you if you don't want to follow along there, but you hear something you want to go back, uh, all those scriptures are listed in the notes in the app, and you can go back this week and look at it and study it some more uh, for yourself. But uh, with it being a holiday weekend, I do hope everyone's had a great uh, Independence Day, uh, celebrating the family, watched yesterday online, saw lots of pictures, people on lakes enjoying the fireworks and the, and the uh, moon last night, all kinds of beautiful things going on, people celebrating, a lot of people traveling. Hope you've had a great time. I don't know about you, uh, but I've kind of had mixed emotions this whole Independence Day weekend. Uh, and the last few weeks as I've been praying and preparing and thinking about uh, what's going on in our world and thinking about what is it, God, you want me to, to speak on and preach on. I kept coming back to the concept of the kingdom of God, but uh, you know, you know, one we're, we're celebrating Independence Day, uh, and that's a beautiful thing, right? In terms of uh, the history of our nation and what that stands for, and uh, some of the values that we stood, uh, we, we created when we started uh, this nation uh, back in 1776, and that idea. Uh, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's part of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And that's part of the foundation of what we've been started on as a nation. And the idea of freedom and equality, those are, are great things. Part of what God has created us for uh, in this world. But as we know, uh, the last couple hundred years of history in our country haven't necessarily bared out all of that uh, with the hope uh, and the expectation that it could be. And we're continuing to see, even in our world today, uh, lots of tension, uh, lots of struggle when it comes to uh, equality. We've got a, lo- a world of hurt right now from disease uh, and death uh, that we're dealing with to the racism and the hate uh, to violence and destruction. We're dealing uh, with all kinds of things like that uh, in our world today. And so I come into this Independence Day weekend, I come into this message just feeling those mixed emotions. Uh, I love America and what it stands for, that idea of freedom and equality based on biblical principles from God's word. But America, I don't really like you right now because we're not necessarily really living out what we've said we're about, right, over the last couple hundred years. We're still wrestling with that. And the reality is, as we look to God's word, I think uh, we're seeing that's an age-old problem. Uh, we're wrestling with things, with, with power and sin and struggles uh, in this world. And God has a different plan, and we should be trying to bring that plan to bear in this world. But there's struggle going on and a lot of brokenness. So my heart has been heavy, and I've been praying a lot. You know, just, Lord, what are, what are we to do as, as part of your people in the midst of what we're experiencing in this world right now? And one of the things I, I've came back to has been the Lord's Prayer uh, over the last few weeks. And, uh, and just thinking about... Uh, what does it mean when we're praying the Lord's Prayer? That's in Matthew 9, or 6, 9 through 13. Uh, when we're praying that, what does that mean when we get to that part where we're praying, Thy kingdom come? Uh, if you know the Lord's Prayer, uh, you probably uh, you know, remember a version that's maybe slightly different than what you find in Matthew 9. It's, uh, that version, that uh, traditional version, is based off of the King James Version. Uh, but we're going to have Matthew uh, 6, 9 through 13 um, on the screen. It should be up on the screen or it's in the app as well. I'm going to invite you to read that along with me. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you know the traditional version, you'd go on and say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the Lord's Prayer that we find uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. Uh, there's a shorter version of that in Luke 11, uh, 2 through 4. And this is uh, Jesus' disciples coming to him and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and that one phrase has just been stuck in my heart over the last few weeks that what does it mean when we're praying for, when we're asking for, thy kingdom come. And so I want to wrestle with that a little bit today. And, and when you've been reading, I've been reading through the Gospels, and you read through the book of Matthew, you can't read through it, and you can't get to a page without coming across the term kingdom. I believe it shows up 55 times throughout the book of Matthew. It's one of the concepts that Jesus taught on the most And what we're going to do today is realize as we get into all of Scripture, that concept of the kingdom of God is one that is there from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. And then Jesus, when he came into this world, he was bringing the kingdom of God and teaching us to build the kingdom of God. And uh, we talk about being kingdom-minded and seeking the kingdom, but I wonder sometimes, do we really know what that means? And so I've been wrestling with that. What does it mean when we're praying, thy kingdom come? And I hope as we dig into scriptures today uh, that I'll have a better understanding, you'll have a better understanding of that, of what we're praying for and what we're to be living out uh, in our lives when it comes to the kingdom uh, of God. And so as we get into it today, I'm going to talk through it in a few different uh, ways. One uh, is going to be uh, talking through just the perspective on the kingdom. And I want to give you guys a a simple definition. Uh, When we're thinking about what is uh, the kingdom of God, I want to give you a, a simple definition. And this is one I like. I read a book a couple weeks ago called Seek First by Jeremy Treat. Uh, And this is the best, uh, simplest definition of the kingdom that I've found as I've studied over the last three or four weeks. It's God's reign through God's people over God's place. So if we're we're boiling the kingdom of God down, we'll give you a simple definition. God's reign over God's people over God's place, through God's people, over God's place. And this is a concept that we see bore out through all of Scripture, not just in the Gospels, but uh, Jesus, uh, that's a key message uh, that he's teaching about. What is the kingdom of God? We've got to understand that if we're his followers, we believe in him, we want to live faithfully for him. If that's one of his core messages, we've got to understand what is the kingdom uh, that he came to bring and what are we supposed to do with that? And so as we get into it today, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. And so I'm going to start uh, by giving a little bit of a biblical overview. We'll look back at the Old Testament. We'll get into some of the New Testament pictures a little bit and hopefully that'll help us to see the big picture view of what God has in mind when he's talking about uh, the kingdom of God. And so starting with that, uh, we'll, we'll look a little bit at the Old Testament. And like I said, it shows up from the beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 27 and 28. I think we've got the scriptures on the side uh, screen. They should come up on screen for you. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the uh, sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
And so this is part of God's creation. Before sin, before anything got messed up, he created everything. Then he created man in his image, gave us a special role in creation. And there's one word that shows up in here. You don't see kingdom or king show up in there, but you see the word rule. He tells us to rule over the creation that he has made, uh, that we are now co-rulers with him. And that, the word that we translate uh, kingdom can also be translated rule or reign. And, and this is a beautiful thing where God is, is not just this uh, sovereign and distant God where he puts everything into, exist, uh, into existence and he's controlling things like a puppet. He gives us a, a kind of a co-ruling with him. He shares his leadership over his creation with us as human beings created in his image. He entrusts us with that ruling over uh, creation. And, and so it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. And uh, that's the, the first sign that we see of any sense of kingdom or ruling uh, in this word. You see it right there in Genesis 1. Well, how does things, how do things turn out there uh, when, in creation, right? We only have to go a couple more chapters to realize that man messes that up. God created us for intimacy with him. He created us for uh, this co-ruling under his leadership of the creation that he gave. And we got in and sin and selfishness got in in the way and messed that up. In Genesis 3, you can look at that. And so from there, God uh, sets out a plan, and he chooses uh, a people, uh, the Israelites, uh, to kind of be his chosen people. Uh, And uh, we find them in exile uh, in the book of Exodus, and... uh, and they're, they're, they're enslaved, and uh, Pharaoh's uh, just this, uh, a different picture. We see God as this loving ruler uh, over all creation. He wants to share that leadership with us. And then we get the picture of a different ruler, worldly leadership, worldly rule, worldly kingdom. And you see Pharaoh, uh, and he is just a harsh uh, dictator, essentially. Everything's about him and building his kingdom, uh, and he's enslaved the Israelites. And here uh, they've been crying out uh, to God, and we get to Exodus 15, uh, and it's after God delivers them, after all the miracles. You know, God uh, sends Moses as the messenger to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh's heart, heart is heartened, and you see all these powerful miracles, and then God splits the Red Sea, and, and they, he releases them from captivity, right? He redeems them. And on the other side of that, in Exodus 15, uh, they've just crossed over. Uh, they've been saved uh, from their uh, slavery. Uh, and we see, uh, go back to the beginning of 15:1 and 2, if you would. We see this. So this is the beginning of their song. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then at the end of this chapter, verse 18, uh, they end this, their song with this phrase, the Lord reigns forever and ever. And we get this picture of after they've been saved from slavery, from this worldly, selfish dictator, God redeems them, saves them, uh, that salvation has come, and they're praising God, uh, who they understand as the supreme one who reigns forever and ever. So we understand the kingdom of God as God's reign over God's, through God's people over God's place. That matches up with what we see in Genesis. And then here, uh, again, uh, as he redeems them uh, from slavery. And then you continue the story in Exodus 19 and 20, and God is establishing this covenant relationship. Uh, He said he's setting them up as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, 
uh, and, he, and he lays out in, in Exodus 20 uh, the Ten Commandments uh, for them. And here's kind of the expectations of being a part of the kingdom, the, the, the nation that I'm setting up as my people. And, uh, you know, just like with creation, it didn't take long. We see the fall and the failure of man. What do we see after God redeems them in this miraculous way, brings them out of slavery, and then he sets up this covenant relationship with them. They, they, are, they understand he's the supreme king. They've just worshiped him and praised him. They've seen his power and his glory. They know that he is a sovereign ruler. And now he says, here's, here's how I want you to live. Here's my commandments. Here's my rule and my reign that you need to submit to. And how do they do with that? About as good as Adam and Eve did, right? It doesn't take long, and they blow it as well. And we continue to see this pattern over and over throughout Scripture. And the problem is sin and selfishness. Sin and selfishness. Over and over again, we reject God's reign in our lives, and we seek to build our own kingdoms. It's true from Genesis 1 all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. And is that not what we are seeing in our world today? God is sovereign. He is king. He's the only one that can fix everything and make things right. But we continue to think we, ha- we can do things better. And we continue to try to build our own kingdoms, our own nations. Uh, and then we, we see the same pattern over and over again. There's sin, there's selfishness, there's power controls. All that kind of stuff makes things fall apart. And so that pattern just begs, all right, we're stuck. Centuries-old pattern, over and over and over as human beings. Sin and selfishness gets in the way, and we mess up, and we fail to submit to God's reign, and we seek to reign in our own way over creation. And so the good news is uh, it doesn't leave us there. Uh, We could go through lots of other passages in the Old Testament. If you look in Isaiah, uh, in in Isaiah 52, uh, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he's talking about the salvation that's coming. And all the prophets then, okay, God tries to set up the Israelites as his people uh, to bless all the nations, and they mess it up. So God knew that was going to happen. And he's, uh, from the prophets, he's saying forward, there's another plan. There's another king coming. There's another plan that's going to come and bring salvation and restore my kingdom uh, because it's not working. Uh, through what humans are trying to do. There's this constant epic fail, and so he doesn't leave us there. Uh, He continues uh, to help us move forward, and the good news is uh, that he's uh, pointing forward through the prophets and all through the rest of the Old Testament to the solution that's coming, Uh, the solution that we proclaim today, that King Jesus comes to establish a new kingdom. And like I said, I've been reading a lot through the the Gospels, and as you read through the book of Matthew, uh, over and over, 55 times or more, you see the word kingdom. Every chapter talks about it once or twice or more, uh, and you realize this is a big concept. And so it's important for us to look a little bit uh, at Jesus' teaching and just understand that uh, a bit. And so uh, starting in Matthew uh, chapter 3 and 4, this is after uh, Jesus' childhood, after his testing in the desert, he, he starts his public ministry. And pretty much from the beginning, we're told this. Jesus' message is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what he starts with. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? 
We'll talk about that in a minute. That's his message. And then uh, Matthew 4, 23, and then it's kind of bookended in Matthew 9, 35. We see the same thing. Jesus is going around. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Remember, that's what Isaiah talked about. How beautiful are the feet of him who proclaims good news. And here he comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he's teaching uh, and he's healing people. Uh, and he's come to establish this kingdom. In Matthew 6, uh, we're told to seek first the kingdom. That's a, a passage we've taught on quite a bit, and uh, I'll definitely refer you back. PD did a series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, uh, not too long ago, and uh, fleshing out some of, the, of what it means to how we're to live in this kingdom. And, and uh, it was a, a beautiful series, powerful series, loved it. Uh, so that's what we see in Matthew 6. In Matthew 7, 21, uh, Jesus says this, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, 14, uh, sorry, Matthew 10, 7, Jesus now has been, is getting ready to send out the disciples. And he sends them out and he says, this is your message that you're to proclaim. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the same message he started with. He's sending the disciples out saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Could you imagine us going around our community right now and just saying, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Are people going to understand what that means? Do we understand what that means? But that's the message that Jesus came proclaiming, that he sent his disciples out proclaiming. So it's pretty important. And we need to make sure we understand what that means as we get into that. Matthew 24, 14 uh, says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations. Before the end, the gospel is going to be preached to all nations, to all people groups. And in John 18, 36, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Matthew 25, 34, uh, he says this, and uh, this is again towards the end. Come, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation. Pointing back to Genesis 1, we just read about the kingdom of God has been the plan all along. And we've messed it up with sin and selfishness, but Jesus has come to restore that. And so he's saying, come, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of, of creation. In John 18, 36, uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world and, that, and that's what you see throughout the book of Matthew, throughout the Gospels. Jesus is teaching kingdom principles. We see the, the kingdom parables. We see the Sermon on the Mount teaching of a kingdom that's completely different than the kingdoms of this world that we try to build and that we're used to. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. After the resurrection, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, we see that he spends 40 days uh, giving undeniable proofs of his life to his disciples. And it says the one thing that he's teaching about, he's teaching the disciples about the kingdom for 40 days. If that's what he's focusing on after his resurrection, making sure they're ready to go and change the world, the kingdom's a pretty important concept. And then as we get uh, towards the end, I told you the kingdom concept is from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We see a couple pictures I'll show you. Uh, Revelation 5, uh, 9, and 10. Do I have those scripture on screen? I do. It says this, And they sang a new song, uh, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God's person, God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve your God, and they will reign on the earth. Again, going back to that initial plan, right? From creation, that was his plan, that all people, all nations would be part of his kingdom. Uh, and just as he established the Israelites to be his kingdom and his holy nation, we're all 
intended to be part of the kingdom of God that he's been creating. And then uh, again in Revelation uh, eleven fifteen, I think I've got that up on the screen too, David. Do I have that one? Uh, says this, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. God came in the beginning of creation to establish a kingdom and to give us shared rulership, shared leadership with him, under him, over his creation. We've messed that up over and over and over and over again, and we continue to do that. But Jesus came to to bring a final end and a fix to all of our problems, Uh, and he came to bring the, 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 the new kingdom. And through his uh, life and his death and his resurrection, uh, he's brought that. It's come upon us, uh, but it's not fully realized yet. And, and so the idea here um, is that he's inaugurated a new kingdom. And then when he comes back again, he's going to fully consummate that kingdom. You think about you know, uh, the idea of being uh, engaged and married, right? When you're, you're kind of inaugurating that relationship officially, when you get engaged, you know, consummate that relationship when you're married. And, and so it's that idea. Jesus came the first time. He inaugurated the new kingdom of God. And when he comes again, he's going to fully consummate that. We'll fully experience what it means for God to reign in holiness and for us to reign with him in holiness like he originally intended in creation. And to what it means there. So, so what does it mean that the kingdom has come near? If that's the message Jesus came proclaiming, the message he's telling us to proclaim, the good news of the kingdom, what does that mean? It means the king has reasserted his reign by gathering a new people, by confronting evil and its devastating effects on people, by liberating them from the oppressive and destructive rule of this world and inviting them to live under his rule and reign. He's come. He's, he's inviting a new people. He's, he's liberating us from the, the, the destruction of sin. He's inviting us to live under his reign and rule, which we've rejected in the past. The king, here's the big idea for this week. The kingdom changes our present reality and our future destiny. It changes our present reality and our future destiny. And and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. What does that look like? Because we're in this in-between time. Jesus came the first time and he brought the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's already here. But he also tells us to enter into the kingdom later, right? When he comes again, we'll fully experience the kingdom of God. And so we're in this in-between time. And what does that look like for us to pray, thy kingdom come? For us to live for and seek first the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Why is that a foundational thing uh, in our lives? And so that's what we're going to talk through in the practical side of things here for a few minutes. Uh, First of all, uh, what does it mean uh, to pray thy kingdom come? I've been wrestling with this as I've just been praying and seeing the brokenness in our world uh, and wondering, okay, Lord, I'm praying this prayer. What is it that I'm looking for? If I'm praying for the, the kingdom of God, in this world, God's rule through God's people over God's place. What am I praying for? Three things uh, came to mind for me as I was just studying through a lot of these scriptures and, and elsewhere. One, that, that prayer, if we're going to pray for thy kingdom come, it's a cry of lament. 
Lament is a passionate expression of, of grief or sorrow. And, and we see Jesus' example uh, many times. You see that in Matthew 9, uh, 36, and Luke 13, 34, and 35, uh, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, or he's coming in and he sees just the brokenness, and he sees the problems of the world, and he says, uh, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And, and uh, I'm sure it was frustrating for him to see that, but his reaction was one then of compassion, one of lament and sorrow and grief. To see the brokenness of the world around him, it it led him to compassion and to grieving uh, and sorrow for the brokenness of the world. And I think that's something that's appropriate for us as we look around us and and we see uh, there's a lot of people who have been talking about what it means to be lamenting. I think uh, as we go through this world and we realize the kingdom of God is for all of us. It's not for white Americans. It's not for Americans that didn't start with America. It's not going to end with America. It's not about that at all. It's for all people nations, tongues, and tribes to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's part of it. And as we go through the racial challenges in this world and uh, African Americans are crying out, Black Lives Matter, it's because they're hurting. It's because we established a country uh, that said that all people are equal and that all will have freedom and justice. And that's not been their experience for the last 200 plus years. And that's a real issue. That's a real problem. And we should just be entering into some lament with them in the midst, in the midst of that. America was established with some great ideals, but we haven't lived up to those fully. And it's hurt a lot of people. And, and so that passionate expression of grief or sorrow, uh, crying of a limp, as we pray for God's kingdom to come, as we seek that, uh, we should be sorrowful and compassionate for the brokenness that we see in the world around us. Second thing I see uh, that that cry of thy kingdom come be is a cry of loyalty. Uh, we, we, we're kind of familiar with uh, a loyalty when you think about the Pledge of Allegiance, right, in, in our country. Uh, but re- ultimately, when you look at the Lord's Prayer and, you're, and we're praying for thy kingdom come, uh, it's our ultimate cry of loyalty and allegiance to the, our Heavenly Father. We're aliens and strangers in this world. We love living in the freedom, the freedoms and the privileges and the opportunities that we have in America, uh, but our ultimate citizenship is in heaven with the kingdom of God, not here in this world. God doesn't care more about America than any other nation. We're thankful to have the freedoms that we have for worshiping and proclaiming the good news and living the ways that we do, but ultimately, our loyalty is with God in heaven and the kingdom of God uh, that he's bringing into this world. I love uh, David Platt's uh, quote. It says this when it comes to the idea of loyalty. It says, Jesus possesses absolute authority in the world and he warrants absolute allegiance from the world. God's reign over God's people and God's place we don't necessarily uh, relate well to that kingdom idea, right? In terms of being under the rule of someone else. Uh, but that's the way things are. God is the, the ultimate authority, the ultimate ruler in this world. And we've rejected that over and over and over. Uh, but the reality is that's not going to change. And so we like our freedoms, but we have to understand that we are loyal and allegiant uh, to Uh, our Heavenly Father, and that we're to live under His rule and reign, even with the freedoms uh, that we have in our country here. So it's a cry of lament, uh, it's a cry of loyalty, and I think it's also a cry of longing. And that's a a longing for both now, while we're in this world, in this in-between time, and, and for the future. 
Come, Lord Jesus. How many of you guys have prayed that in the midst of the brokenness of the world? Come, Lord Jesus, just come back. Rescue us from all the demise and the destruction of this world. We long for that, and we should. But we shouldn't just be hunkering down in our churches, uh, waiting for Jesus to come back. We also should be longing for that uh, and praying for God's kingdom to come, partnering with him, and we'll talk about that in a bit, to bring his kingdom into this world. And, And so we should be longing for that. And the reality is that praying isn't enough. We should be people of action. And I think as we you know, enjoy the freedoms of gathering on Sundays for worship and uh, being a part of the church, you've noticed I haven't talked about the church at all when we're talking about the kingdom of God. The, the, the kingdom of God is not the church. Jesus didn't come, say, build uh, the kingdom of God, and he wasn't talking about building up our attendance on Sunday mornings, making sure that people are attending on Sunday mornings. We get way too focused on the Sunday morning services and our experiences and our opportunities there. The kingdom of God has lived out every moment of our lives. And and, uh, sometimes I think we're too easily uh, comfortable uh, and focused on our own comfort and convenience and, and we gather together on Sundays and we go out during the week and that's, that's all we're thinking about when it comes to uh, the kingdom of God is we want to be able to experience our church services and the, the blessings of that. The kingdom of God is so much more. It's God's reign through God's people over his place. And so we want to pray, we want to uh, look for through lamenting, through loyal, crying out in loyalty by crying out and longing for God's kingdom to come into this world. But praying isn't enough. We've got to act. If we're going to truly be longing for and partnering with God to bring his kingdom into this world, we've got to look for ways to pursue. What does it mean to pursue thy kingdom come? And I've got three things there for us today. Uh, The first is this. And we've talked about this a little bit already, but uh, just to put it out there clearly. One, we have to respect our king's reign. We have to respect our king's reign. He is sovereign. We know how this is going to end, and we'd love it to be completely different right now. And we can work towards making things better in this world by being salt and light. But ultimately, we're not in charge. It's not about uh, our goals and our priorities. It's about the kingdom of God. And he's made that very clear in Scripture. And hopefully you've seen that through the little uh, overview we did of Scripture earlier. The kingdom of God has come. That's what Jesus is building now, and that's ultimately what's going to end with in this world, and we can long for that. But we've got to, on a daily basis, respect our king's reign. I think all too often we're like Thomas Jefferson was, and he's one of the founding fathers of our nation, and you may or may not be familiar with something that's, uh, t- that's traditionally been referred to as the Jefferson Bible Uh, But uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, spent uh, many of the last years of his life kind of publishing his own version of Scripture. And what he would do, he'd take a razor knife or something, and he'd cut out the parts of Scripture that he liked, and he'd paste them into his own kind of journal to make his own Scripture. And you know what parts of the Scripture that he cut out most of the time? It was the miracles of Jesus. It was the resurrection of Jesus. Anything that would show that he was more than just a moral teacher. And he titled that work, The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And I believe you can see a copy of it in the Smithsonian, one of the Smithsonian's museums when that's open. Uh, Not making this up. He cut out the parts of Scripture that he didn't like. And those were the ones that showed that he was a sovereign. Jesus was God. He came into this world to be king, to establish a new kingdom. 
And we like to, you know, our world likes to say Jesus was a good moral teacher, but that misses the mark. Jesus was not crucified because he told people to love one another. Jesus was not rejected because he told us to, you know, taught us the golden rule. Jesus was rejected because he came claiming to be king and to be bringing a new kingdom. And in that day and age, we, we kind of get dis, disconnected from the concept of kingdom, but in that day and age, they knew exactly what was going on. They were under Roman rule, and there was a king. And there was, again, another one of those harsh, selfish, worldly dictators ruling uh, in their world. And, and the Israelites were looking for a new kingdom to come in, but not like Jesus brought in. Someone that was, that was uh, sitting with sinners and, uh, and work, uh, working with the least of these. That's not what they were looking for. They wanted a powerful military type of presence to come in and establish their new kingdom. Jesus came going around to the sinners and the tax collectors and gathering his new people saying, the kingdom of God has come. Follow me. Can you imagine someone in Oxford, Lake Orion, Ortonville, Lapeer, going around you know, to, the, to the parks and the, the lakes this weekend on a holiday weekend and saying, follow me, I'm establishing a new kingdom in this world. You'd think the person was a nut, right? And, and people, many did uh, in Jesus' day, but he proved over and over through his miracles and through his teaching and through his perfect life that he was a new king coming into this world. And if he is who, he, who the scriptures say he is and who we believe him to be. He is God and he is the new king. And if we just try to boil him down to a, a good moral teacher, we're missing the point. And because of that, we're trying to do like Jefferson did. We want to bottle Jesus in, in a comfortable way and say, okay, I like some of the things he's teaching me, but I'm not, he's not, I'm not going to submit my life to his rule and reign. Now, if we're going to pursue the kingdom, it starts right there. It starts right there, respecting our king's reign. He is sovereign. He's going to be the ruler for eternity. Inevitably, no matter what, that's how it ends. And he's invited us to respect his reign now and to rule with him over his world the way that he intended for that to be. So that's the first thing, is respecting our king's reign. If we're going to pursue the kingdom, we also need to reflect our king's heart. And we can only do that once we get number one right, just like Pastor Ben taught last week in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a list of here's the things we need to do and be. We, we grow in our relationship with Jesus. We submit to him as king in our lives and as the Spirit uh, reveals truth to us through his word and works in our lives, that fruit comes out. We start to reflect. We become like our king when we love him. We submit to his reign. We become more like him. We want to learn about who he is and what he's about and how he's designed for us to live in this world. We're going to see our hearts reflecting our king's hearts. And we could talk through all kinds of examples. Again, I'll point you back to PD's message a few months ago on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and then his current series that he'll pick up again last week, Love Comes to Town. Uh, and that idea of just teaching what does it mean to love in God's kingdom, according to God's kingdom and not according to the kingdom of this world. Just a few quick examples of how we need to reflect our king's heart uh, in this world instead of the world's heart. Uh, first is this, and, and when it comes to love, our kingdom, the kingdom of this world and the culture says we love our friends, right? We love those it's easy to love. And PD's taught on this recently. Jesus says we need to love our enemies. It's a totally upside down kingdom. When it comes to the topic of hurt, there's been a lot of hurt going on in our world, right? When it comes to that topic of being hurt, uh, what's our culture, what's our world do or say that we should do? 
It's all about re- reaction and retaliation, right? We got to make sure they know they've hurt us and we got to hurt them back maybe. We escalate it and aggression, there's all kinds of aggression. I don't know if you saw the, the news coverage, uh, the situation in Lake Orion down by Chipotle where you had this uh, a white couple coming out and they bumped into the daughter of an African-American woman on the way out and that's a situation that should have been simple, right? Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to bump you and I apologize and move on, but it didn't. Uh, it just blew up into the situation and the African-American people were demanding an apology and the other person was refusing that and we're, it just got escalated and heated uh, to the point where the white person pulled out their gun. They had absolutely no reason to do that. It was a horrible situation, but that's what we see in our world is escalation, reaction, retaliation when we're hurt. And, and both sides were wrong in that and the one person went to jail and they should have. They, they broke the law. Uh, it's ridiculous. That's our world's kingdom when it comes to hurt. But God's kingdom, if we're reflecting our Father's heart, it says we should be seeking, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. Completely different than what this world teaches. When it comes to power, our world is all about selfishness and putting myself first. Looking out for number one, right? Putting myself first. God's kingdom is all about serving and putting others first. When it comes to differences, there's all kinds of differences in our world. And God created our world with all kinds of diversity and differences, and that's a beautiful thing. Our culture, there's all kinds of tension and fear and division in the midst of that. In God's kingdom, there's unity in the midst of diversity. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what our heart should be. That's what ultimately is going to be all nations, tribes, and tongues gathered together under the king, worshiping him equally, unified. That's what we should be pursuing in this world as well. When it comes to justice in our culture, it's, it's a very imperfect and incomplete process. But we know in God's kingdom that justice is going to come. And we see in Psalm 11, 4 through 17, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth and his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be uh, their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice and the upright will see his face. We serve a sovereign king who cares about justice and we should be working towards justice in our world, but it's gonna be imperfect because we're an imperfect people. But ultimately, justice is coming. And Jesus' heart when it came to justice, uh, I love what we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, where it's talking about Jesus in verse 22. Jesus was sinless. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Verse 23, 1 Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' kingdom is different, and we've got to reflect the heart of our king when it comes to these things, and trust ourselves. God's going to make sure justice happens, but it may not all happen during this in-between time, but it will happen in the end. So we respect our king's reign, we reflect our king's heart, and lastly, we want to make sure we're working to restore our king's creation. Remember back to Genesis 1, he created us to co-rule with him over this creation, uh, to make sure that his kingdom was led in the way that it should be. And we're, again, we're, we're in an imperfect world. It's never going to be, there's still going to be brokenness and there's going to be pain in this world. But we shouldn't just be giving up. We should be working to bring more than just longing for the day that we're going to be in heaven. We should be working to bring heaven on this earth by partnering with our king to restore 
his creation, his ultimate design of what things uh, are meant to be. I love, uh, we just did a marriage conference uh, with a number of people a couple months ago, and I love uh, what Paul Tripp said there, and he was talking about creation. You know, in Genesis 1 and 2, we were created, and, and marriage is this beautiful thing where uni- unity and intimacy, reflecting our relationship with God between husband and wife. Genesis 3 came in, and sin messed that up and, and broke it. But God didn't just leave us there. Through Jesus, through the cross, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he is working to redeem us and bring us back towards what he intended in creation, in our marriages and in in this whole creation, in the whole world. We should be partnering with him to work to make this world reflect the kingdom of God as best that we can. And again, that's an ongoing process uh, and not perfect. But we can't just be sitting back, uh, insulated and isolated in our church buildings and waiting for heaven to come for the day that we get together. God has called us to be salt and light in this world, uh, to, to continue to share the message of the good news of his kingdom. And, and that's what we should be doing. And so as we, uh, as we wrap up today, I just want to remind you of Jesus' urgent invitation. This was the message he came on this world proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there's this cycle uh, when we understand what we've walked walked through today, that God, his kingdom is here and his kingdom is coming. There's no denying that. When we look around us and we see the brokenness, it's nothing new. It's all about sin and selfishness, and that cycle is going to continue through people who are not submitting, who are rejecting the reign of the king and not submitting, and they're trying to build their own kingdoms. When people are doing that in this world, we're going to continue to see the reaction and the pain and the suffering and the abuse. It's wrong, and we shouldn't be doing that, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. Jesus came, and he's establishing a new kingdom. And he's inviting us to see that, yes, there's brokenness in this world, but he's made a new way. And he's saying, turn from that. Admit, see the brokenness of your sin, that you've rejected me as king. You've rebelled. You're trying to build your own kingdom. Repent. Turn away from that and turn back to me as king. I'm inviting. I've ransomed you from that brokenness and from sin. I'm redeeming your life. I'm inviting you to come and live under my reign and rule. That's Jesus's invitation. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And so that my encouragement and question for you today is what are, what's God prompting you to do with the kingdom of God as you've seen it through the scriptures today? Uh, if you're just building your own kingdom or if you're thinking that Christianity is all about churchianity, showing up and going through religious motions, attending church on Sunday, that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with the new king who sees your helplessness and sees your sin and, and he realizes you can't do anything about it, so he's done something for you and for me by dying on the cross, raising to a new life and inviting us to be, a, be his people and to live under his reign and to work with him and in reestablishing his initial plan with creation as we long for the fulfillment of that in the last day. That's the invitation. If you've not experienced that, if you've not seen that before, I urge you, I invite you to believe in Jesus. He's not just a good moral teacher. He is God. He's the Son of God, came into this world, lived a sinless life, died for you and for me, raised a new life, and he invites you to enjoy that new life by placing your faith in him. If you haven't done that today, that's where you start. 
and uh, reach out to us. Uh, If you're making that decision today, reach out to us through email, through our church app, uh, text, whatever. Uh, We'd love to talk with you and encourage you in that way. But but wherever you're at, if God's encouraging you to be praying more, lamenting what's going on in our world and looking for ways that you can engage uh, in terms of reflecting God's heart in this world or restoring his world, uh, do that. Write down some things that God's putting on your heart. But it starts with the idea of respecting our king's reign. So I urge you guys this week, as you think about the kingdom of God, as you think about the kingdom of this world and the brokenness you see all around us, God's establishing a new kingdom. He invites us to be a part of it. And it's a beautiful gift, a beautiful thing. Uh, Let's pray as we wrap up today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you for uh, not leaving us in the midst of our sin and rebellion. You've made a way. You're establishing a new people, a new kingdom in this world. And we're privileged to be a part of that. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us uh, to open our eyes uh, as we see the brokenness in our world. Help us to to have your heart of compassion, of of grieving, uh, but your commitment to engaging and loving and and living out your heart, uh, bringing your values to bear on this world. Uh, Lord, as we do that, uh, those things are going to shine a light and be salt uh, and influence others around us. So just empower us to do that. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Uh, for, for speaking to us today and pray as we go forward throughout this week that you just continue to bring to, to a reminder some of the scriptures we looked at this week and uh, that you help us uh, to make sure that we are God's people under his reign and working with him uh, to restore his creation. We thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen.